Uh, so tonight we will be reading from 1 Kings, if you want to follow along. Uh, it is 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start from verse 3. I'll give you a couple seconds to pull that up if you want. So 1 Kings 19 verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Yahweh, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of Yahweh came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of Yahweh came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He he replied, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Yahweh said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of Yahweh, for Yahweh is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before Yahweh, but Yahweh was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Yahweh said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him.
Thank you. Um, at the end of that story, Yahweh, um, Yahweh reserves a faithful remnant of 7,000. Um, I feel like we're here, the faithful remnant, who are, we've had a good weekend and uh, we're here. Um, so well done. Um, some of you rolling in the door and some of you quite energetic. I'm impressed. Um, as Steph said, it has been a week of celebrations uh, in so many ways um, and also a, a complex time. Um, and tonight, I, I guess we're going to straddle the two. Um, we're we're going to dip in and out. Um, and... Uh, to echo Steph's, uh, yeah, Steph's concerns there, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a content warning, I guess, as we go through this. Um, I hadn't planned on actually weaving these together, but the passage that I chose quite a while ago was the story of Elijah. And so as I was sitting and praying and thinking this week about what is it that God is uh, calling our community to, um, and then I was reading the headlines uh, and watching the stories unfold, uh, it felt so important that, um, yeah, that we give voice to what's happening. Um, and so, yeah, uh, uh, if you need time, please take it. Um, as Steph said, if you want to just jump up and chat with them, you're, you're more than welcome to at any point. Um, let me pray for us as we go in. God, you are the one who... Uh, who uh, gave refuge for Elijah. God, you weren't there in the earthquake, you weren't there in the wind, you weren't there in the fire, but you were there in a gentle whisper. And God, here we gather tonight and we ask that you would, that you would reveal yourself to us in new ways, in fresh ways, that we would understand that we have a God who is our refuge, that you would whisper to us uh, that you are safe. Amen. Um, uh, the passage uh, that we just had read to us, uh, it's a hectic passage, hey. Uh, the, there's a lot going on there. Uh, we're going to unpack it a little bit and kind of want to tell the story a bit and then reflect on why I, um, why I think it's a really relevant passage for us today. Um, but as, as Steph said, um, we want to just give voice to some of the things that have been coming up in the headlines. And often churches shy away from speaking about what's happening in politics, what's happening in the world. And I guess I want to come back at that and say the gospel is inherently political. Um, the, the gospel, the story of Jesus, the story of the Bible is inherently a call to justice and a call to see dignity in all humans. And so if we ever become a church that does not speak powerfully to power, we've really missed the point. Uh, we, we've really gone astray at that point. Um, and so uh, we find ourselves in the midst of a storm uh, with everything that is happening in Parliament House at the moment, uh, with the, the cover-ups. And I, uh, I guess over this week, uh, over the past few weeks, um, we've heard over and over again stories of um, women's voices who are just tired, um, tired of, um, of the abuse, of violence, um, of not being believed. Um, and I guess I want to say to this community that I feel like as a man, I don't have a huge amount to bring into this conversation. Um, my role at this point is to listen um, 
and, and that's the posture that, that I hope that I take. Um, I listen, uh, elevate the stories and the voices that need to be elevated, um, and I, I continue challenging the status quo um, in, in whatever way that I can. Um, and I guess as we do that, as I do that, as the men in this room do that, um, our prayer is that uh, that this space that we're creating, uh, that New City Church would be a space of safety, um, that it will be a space of refuge where people can find healing. And that uh, that is such a deep prayer for me at this point. Um, that is just such a a driving prayer that this would be that place. Um, and I, I had some really beautiful chats with Karen and Steph this week, um, just uh, reflecting on uh, what our church's role is in this, what my role is in this, what Kaz and Steph's role is in this. Um, and I'm just so grateful for their wisdom um, as, as they lead our church. Um, and one of the things that Karen helped me understand was um, the extent to which uh, uh, to which the trauma that we're talking about, it's an embodied trauma. Um, and I, uh, I, I shared a little bit on the weekend away um, about my work. Um, I work in this space. Um, I, I work at this school. And one of the things that we are constantly speaking about is trauma. Um, and I think it's really fitting that what we had read to us tonight, um, it, it feels like an embodiment of trauma. Um, Elijah is at such a low point in his life. Uh, He has just faced some horrendous situations, which we'll get to in a little bit. But the first thing that Yahweh does when Yahweh meets Elijah uh, is to send an angel, uh, a messenger. Um, And it's not a big spiritual event. It's not an instant healing uh, but the first thing that Yahweh does is provide food and rest. Um, to say, you need to listen to your body. Um, you need to listen to the trauma that you're experiencing. Um, and in that, uh, you, you honor the body that God has given. Um, you honor the need to stop and rest and take sustenance. Um, so, uh, in this chapter of our nation, um, I think it is right. Um, it's right that we look at what it means to be um, a community of refuge, a community that seeks refuge in Christ, a community that longs for, for better things. Um, that's where we're heading tonight. Um, yeah, if you, I, I know, I, I sense that there's a heaviness in the room. Um, and we're going to just sit in that heaviness, um, and we'll keep walking through it. Uh, and I, I hope and pray that as, as we go through, there'll be some hope sprinkled in there as well. Um, yeah. Um, uh, shall we jump into the life of Elijah? Elijah has an awful lot to teach us. Um, and it wasn't until... Uh, till Friday that I was sitting at my computer kind of staring at this passage, reading through it over and over again, that I was like, oh, I can find hope in this passage. Um, and I, I can find a lot of joy in, in reading through this. So um, maybe if we jump in, um, it will start to sit with us um, and start to resonate a little bit. Shall we? I'm getting some nods. Brilliant. Um, uh, there are... Uh, 
there are a whole sway of characters throughout the Bible. Uh, we have kings, uh, we have priests, we have queens, we have judges, we have disciples, we have deacons. We have, we have all sorts of different types of people. Um, as I look at our community, though, uh, there, there's one category of person within the Bible that I think uh, resonates with, with who we are, with what this community is becoming and what this community needs to keep becoming. Um, and that is the role of the prophet. Um, have people spent much time looking at the role of the prophet in the Old Testament in particular? It is a fascinating role. Um, and I think as, as I flesh it out a little bit now, you'll be like, oh yeah, that is, that is our community to a T. Um, and so let me just put it out there. Um, I believe that we are a community of prophets. Um, take it or leave it, it's up to you. Um, but I think in that, each of you individually is called to have a prophetic voice. Now, if you are from charismatic movements or if you know a little bit about the charismatic movement, um, often prophecy is understood as um, knowing something that only the divine could know and so speaking into you know, a person's experience that perhaps uh, is uh, an element of the future or understanding something about their life experience that you're speaking into. The way I'm speaking about prophetic at this point, it's a little bit different. Um, it, it, it's... Um, it's in line with the way the Old Testament prophets work within Israel. And there's a division of power in Israel. You have the kings, you have the monarchy, who perhaps make the laws and enforce the laws. But then you have another class of people who call the kings to account. And that's the prophets. The role of the prophet is to look back at the, the biblical text, what they had at the time, the Torah, and keep calling the kings of Israel to account to say, hey, you, you need to pull up, you need to do better, you need to go back to this, you need to act justly, to love mercy. And so the prophets, time and time again, speak to power, and if it's corrupt, they declare what needs to happen. That, that's the role of the prophet. Does that make sense then why I say that we are kind of a prophetic community? In fact, by our very existence we're kind of a prophetic community. Because for so many of us, we have felt the sting of being outcasts. Uh, we've felt the pain of the powers that be excluding us from their communities. And so we're not a community that sits here and licks our wounds. We're a community that turns around and says, hey, we are made in the image of God. Uh, we are people of the kingdom. Uh, we are people who have found our home in the church because Christ is the one that we follow. And so we turn to the powers that be and we say, you've got to do better. Um, you've got to do better, not just for our sake, but for the kingdom. Um, so I think we're a community of prophets. I think that we have a really prophetic voice in the church, um, and in society at large. I was sitting with someone a little while ago, and they were umming and ahhing about whether or not they should come to a church that's affirming. And one of the criticisms that they heard of me, um, not, not just of a church, but of me, uh, was that I don't speak about repentance enough. Um, I almost had to laugh. Because um, I was like, that, that's pretty much all I ever speak about. Like, when I say, you've got to do better, 
Um, what I'm saying to the powers that be is you need to repent. Uh, you need to turn around from that course of action that is destructive, that is oppressive, and you need to seek justice. Um, are you with me? Do you agree that we have some sort of prophetic role in church, in society? Like, I, I think I've done enough work there. We're, we're convinced. Um, Elijah is a prophet. And just before the scene that we had read for us, Elijah has just done this huge thing in Israel. Israel for decades, hundreds of years has been slowly stepping away from the worship of Yahweh, from working towards justice, acting mercy. Uh, and they have been following Baal. Uh, who is the God of the nations around them, uh, and into all sorts of horrendous things. You know, we know that the God of Baal de- uh, required child sacrifices, re- required blood sacrifices from humans. It, were, it, was, it was kind of a, a religion that was really messy and, uh, and hard for Yahweh to swallow. Uh, and so Yahweh is saying, no, no, you've got to step away from that. Yahweh uh, and Elijah set a, uh, it's almost like the, the ultimate divine dance-off challenge. Um, And all of the priests of Baal come together. And then there's Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh. And all of the priests of Baal set up an altar to Baal and they start dancing around it in this frenzy, um, praying that Baal would come down and burn what is on the altar as a display of Baal's power. And they're dancing around. You can kind of picture, um, I was watching Mardi Gras last night, it was like Rita Ora dancing around a pink triangle. Um, Like it's this frenzied dance that gets more and more frenzied. And Elijah is off to the side taunting them. Um, The word that the Bible uses is taunting, as though like, come on, come on Baal, you can do it, just a little bit of flame. You can, like, and... Uh, And the more that they dance, the more that it dawns on them that nothing's happening. So they stop. Uh, Elijah comes up. Uh, He drenches the altar in water, uh, so much water that it fills into the trenches that have surround the altar. And Elijah simply says, Yahweh, show us your power. Fire comes down, burns up the altar, all the water disappears. And it's kind of the, uh, the ultimate showdown. Um, that, that is the God of Israel saying, no, I'm the God here. I'm the, I'm the true God, the one with power. Elijah then goes around and kills all the priests of Baal, which doesn't make him a popular person. Um, surprise, surprise. Um, things go a little bit messy from there, and, uh, and he ends up having to flee with a death sentence on his head. That's the scene that we find Elijah in. He is devastated because he has worked his whole life to allow people to understand Yahweh and now he has been cast out of Israel. Uh, He has worked so hard so that people might follow justice, act with mercy, know God and now he is banished. And so he goes out into the desert, into the wilderness He leaves his servant behind and he walks out into the wilderness and he cries out to God. God, I have been so zealous. I want to die. I want to die. But then the angel of Yahweh appears and provides that sustenance that we heard about the food and the water, 
and Elijah falls back to sleep and he wakes up again and there is food and there is water. And you can hear the gentleness with which the angel speaks. You don't have the strength for this journey, Elijah. This is too much for you. Rest. Elijah rests and then he travels for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the same mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments on. It's a, it's a really important mountain in the Old Testament. He arrives there and he prepares himself to meet with God. And along comes the wind, wind that gushes at the mountain. The rocks are split apart with the ferocity of this wind. But we read that Yahweh isn't there in the wind. And then an earthquake comes. It shatters the edges of the mountain. You can hear the explosions taking place. But Yahweh is not in that earthquake. And then a fire comes. And fire ravishes the mountain. And everything around it burns. But again, that's not Yahweh. And finally, a whisper comes past the mountain. And Elijah wraps a cloak around his face lest he see God. And Elijah steps out into the presence of God as God passes by. We're a prophetic community. We're a little bit like Elijah. We're a little bit like Elijah to steal a Thomasism. Um, we, are, we are in the place of calling people to see God, to know Jesus. Uh, and each one of us, simply by being here, is acting in that prophetic way. I wonder if you feel the weight of that task. Um, I wonder if you feel the weight of having to be that voice. Uh, I do. I do. I feel it so heavily and sometimes I hate it. Um, and a lot of the time I don't want to be that voice uh, because I shouldn't have to be that voice. I shouldn't have to defend myself. Um, I shouldn't have to stand here and declare that my existence matters. Um, that, that's not how it should be. And so... Um, I guess what I want to spend a little bit of time doing now, um, just, I, I'm not going to go for much longer. Uh, what I want to do is think about, well, how do we find refuge when we're exhausted? Um, how do we find refuge when, like Elijah, all we've done is spoken, um, or all we've done is tried to be zealous for God, no matter how, uh, no matter how uh, wayward that might feel at the time or be at the time. We, we've tried, and yet all we get is rejection. All we get is being the outcast. How, how do we find refuge? Um, and in that, I want to suggest two, two lies that Elijah might have believed. Two lies that Elijah might have believed. And this is where I hope that there's some sort of um, encouragement for you. Uh, the first one is that Elijah has convinced himself that this is all on him, that he is 
alone and that if he fails, then the kingdom of God fails with him. He lies down and he prays that God would end his life because he's a failure. He's no better than his ancestors. They failed. The people before him failed. He failed. Um, And with our lens, uh, we would say that um, Elijah is experiencing extreme trauma, um, deep grief, that he's in the throes of depression and helplessness. Um, And And somewhere along the line, he has convinced himself that he is this lone wolf, the only one declaring goodness against the forces of evil. But here's the thing, that's patently false. Elijah is not alone, and it's not all on him. Um, Let's just go through it quickly. An angel of the Lord comes and provides Elijah with sustenance. There we go, there's somebody. Uh, Somebody who is there to say, rest and eat. Uh, After this story, Elijah goes and anoints Elisha, who becomes Elijah's protege, uh, the the new prophet to Israel. Um, Even in this passage, we read that Elijah had a faithful servant. And what did he do with him? He just left him behind. He said, you stay here. I got to go off on my own. Um, And then... God says to Elijah, go back, speak to Jehu and those other guys. They're the ones who are going to do this with you. Oh, and also I have 7,000 people that I know are still faithful. And you read that, and I think we're supposed to realize that Elijah was never alone. Um, Elijah never stood on his own as the lone ranger against the prophets of Baal. Elijah always had a group of people who stood beside him, uh, who caught him when he fell, um, who were there to provide company on the journey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. All of the research when it comes to trauma-informed practice is saying the same thing over and over and over again. The best course of action when it comes to trauma recovery is connectedness. It's being connected to people who care, connected to people who are present and there, who can listen and walk the journey with you. And that's what this is. That's what we're doing in this room together. We are connecting. We're saying that we are with one another. We're standing in solidarity. And I love what Caleb said. As as he walked into the stadium last night, it felt a little bit like, in your words, like going to your first Christian conference, where as a teenager, you're off in the wilderness, and this is how I, I understood it, I might be totally wrong, but you walk in and there's all of these people who are like you, uh, who know you, and who, who are on the same journey as you. But then time goes on and the church might not be as safe a space anymore and you walk into somewhere like the stadium last night and say, oh, here's a group of people who perhaps are on the same page as me. Um, There's a sense of solidarity. There's a sense of comfort. Um, And so I hope that that for you, as you think about what does it mean to be a community of people who have experienced trauma, um, as a community of people who are calling people to justice, uh, who are calling people to repent, Uh, who are calling people to follow the way of Yahweh, we do this together. Um, We do this not as lone rangers, but we do it arm in arm. 
The second lie, the second lie that Elijah believes is that God only works in the loud and the thunderous. And I think sometimes we convince ourselves of that as well. Uh, that we just wait for God to really show up and then everything will be okay. Uh, that we just wait for the really miraculous, spectacular feat and then the world will be fixed. We wait for the thunder and the wind and the earthquake. And we forget that God is a God who whispers. Sure, God is a God of the miraculous and the big and the grand and the spectacle. Uh, But God is equally one who is intimate and close. Yahweh is one who is present and near. Elijah has just called down fire from heaven. Um, But then everything falls to pieces in a really spectacular way. And we're left thinking, God, where did you go? Uh, Did you just burn up the offering and disappear? Um, And and I think God is, in this passage, showing us that God shows up in the small, uh, in the mundane. Um, And that's where we find God so often. Um, And Steph says this really beautifully often. uh, When we get cast from the mainstream and we find ourselves in the wilderness and we look around and we start wondering, how on earth did I get here? Uh, then we start seeing Jesus in new ways and we discover that, ah, maybe Jesus was out here all along. Um, Jesus was amongst the outcast in the margins, in the wilderness, waiting for us to just come and discover more of God's beauty. So uh, have I convinced you that we're a prophetic church, that we have a role to be prophets? Um, I, th- I think that's really important for us. Um, And part of our role as prophets is to recognize that we don't always have to be on the front line. Sometimes God just pulls us right back um, and he gives us 40 days and 40 nights just of being in nature or the wilderness or the desert, um, of just being sustained. Um, Sometimes God calls us to step into the action uh, and to be vocal and to do that together. And so I guess... Um, as we do that, we recognize that, uh, that God is a God who heals. Um, God is a God who provides refuge. Um, God is a God who lifts up those on the margins. Um, and I guess if there's, if there's a question to be asked, it's uh, where in your life do you see yourself being prophetic in that sense? Um, where do you see yourself calling people to a better picture? Um, a status quo that isn't right, that you need to say, hey, here's a more beautiful way. And what does it look like for you as you think about that to not feel it as a burden, um, but to feel it as an invitation to find refuge in God and invite people to refuge in God? Uh, as Steph said, um, we have been on a huge journey as a church and, um, and our vision is that all might find refuge and life in Christ. And we're about to uh, open up 
uh, we're about to open up to the next level. I mean, it's not going to be a big song and dance, but we can do that if you want. Um, it's not going to be a spectacular launch party or anything like that. It's simply saying um, we have a community here that we think is really beautiful. We have a community here which we think is characterized by Jesus, that is characterized by justice, that, that is a place of healing. And if that's something that you would like to join us in, we invite you into that. Um, and so my prayer, uh, my prayer for us as we think about what is going on in our nation, as we think about the lives that we have in our very midst, when we think about how we interact with the world, my prayer is that we would keep coming back to this God who is a refuge, uh, that sustains us, that gives us cause to rest, and that shows up in the quiet and the intimate and the mundane, um, that day by day we would be sustained. That was a quick overview, wasn't it? Um, I hope that maybe sparked some thoughts um, that you can take on into the week. I'd love to keep chatting about this. Um, The person of Elijah is a phenomenal character in the scripture. uh, And I would love to hopefully spark some discussions around what it means to be, as a community, people of refuge. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that we have a place that we can call our home. We have a place that we can be safe in. God, we thank you that you are the God who is close and is near and whispers um, that we might know that you are with us. God, give us ears to hear. Give, Give us ears to hear and obey and then look at power and call it to account. But God, as we do that, we also know that the role of the prophet is hard, that it's tiring, and for so many it involves this ongoing trauma. And so God, we thank you that you are also the God who doesn't allow us to just go in alone. We thank you that it's not up to us, that you give us permission to retreat, uh, to rest, to eat, um, And so, God, we pray that we would be a community that does that for one another. God, as as we see our siblings go through pain, that those who are well will be able to speak up. God, as we, in our community, recognize that some have been robbed of voice, God, we pray that we would give them voice. Ultimately, God, we want to be a community that acts justly, loves mercy, and walks humbly with you. And so, God, we lift ourselves up before you and we thank you for Jesus and for the way that Jesus embodied all of this so, so beautifully. Amen.